I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Sin Bin Rugby Podcast brought to you by the AI Channel. Tonight we're going to talk exclusively about Wales and really why not. After the result against England at the weekend, I've got three very passionate Welshmen. Uh, one who was actually there at Twickenham uh, to, to discuss this game and, and also to the, the main talking points uh, of the World Cup so far. First up we have Stefan Thomas uh, who's becoming a regular on the pod here. How are you Stefan? Recovered? Yeah. Yeah, well, not quite, <laughs> not quite. No. Oh, well, you, you deserve it. Uh, next up, we have Sam Evans. Uh, I take it you haven't recovered, clearly. Well, I'm still drunk, so I haven't had the hangover yet, so it's all right. Fair fucks to you, man. And last but certainly not least, we have uh, George Berman, who was uh, who was actually there at Twickenham. Hi, are you, George? You recovered? Hi, mate. Yeah, no, it's still in, still in shock, I think, but uh, definitely, definitely got a big smile on my face still. Well, since since you were the man who was there, uh, maybe maybe you could take a little time and, and give us a sort of sense of, of 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 the occasion. You know, the lead up to it and, and your emotions as the game went on. Um, the floor is yours. Far away. Yeah, I think you know I've I've been to Twickenham a fair amount in terms of just Six Nations um, and the games in the autumn and things like that, and it's. Um, you know, it, it, it's a great rugby stadium, um, and in terms of the occasion, the whole pre-match there is is, is always um, always great. But I think there's just something different about it, and everyone knew in terms of the mag- magnitude of the game. You know, ever since the draw came out, sort of, what, I think new, over two years ago now, um, everyone had been looking at this game, and, and you know, it's just going to be so important. So, I, I, I before the game, we're sort of sitting having a drink, and you're kind of there, just like this is. This is massive, basically, um, and just the tension in the stadium before. I think you know the teams were coming out. It was uh, it was unbelievable. So, um, 
so yeah, and no, obviously, um, <laughs> for most of the game, it was just uh, just concern really because we really struggled in the set piece. I think that was very very disappointing, um, and we just didn't have any platform to play. And, and they sort of had their tails up, and you know, when they got that try in the first half, were consistently sort of seven to ten points ahead on the scoreboard until we pulled it back later on. So um, I, I think for most of the game, I just sort of thought, you know, this. This hasn't quite happened for us, um, and you know we, we, we're just just going to have to write it off and move on. Um, and I, everyone in the stadium was just shell shocked um, in the last sort of ten fifteen minutes when that happened, and they just couldn't uh, change the momentum back their way once once Wales kind of um, started to get back into the game. Um, Tell me this. Can I, can I, what, what, were, what were you like at half time? Because, you know, as we discussed before we started here, I felt the game was gone for you at that stage. You know, the 10 point difference and, and you know, England were looking pretty good at that stage. What, what, what was the feeling inside the ground at that stage, George? I was I, I was gutted, to be honest, because I kind of just thought, um, you know, this this just this just isn't going to be our day. Um, and, you know, we've not been accurate enough. The line out was terrible. Um, and I just thought, you know, you're away at Twickenham. I, I, I thought we should have been further down than we were at half time. So I thought, you know, we're just kind of hanging on in there. We got a penalty just before half time to bring it back to, I think, a seven point deficit. Um, so I, I remember saying saying to my mate who I was watching it with that I didn't really think we had much of a right to still be in the game, um, but we were. So you kind of hope, but I, I just felt like, you know, you're seven points down at Twickenham. It's it's going to be tough to. To bring it back, especially when you've got no set piece platform. Um, so I was, I was worried. I definitely wasn't expecting us to come back, but um, I was obviously, obviously pleasantly surprised by the end. So then, uh, <laughs> what were you surprised at all that they didn't kick for points? Uh, you know, the, 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 they had the penalty at the end, and, and they went to do a Japan, but it didn't quite. And, and to be fair, you know, I, I'm, I'm a neutral in this, albeit I, I was, you know, very much on, on, on the Welsh side. And, and to me, it was clear at that stage, you know, with the penalty, when, when they went for the corner, I just laughed because it was clear they were never getting through you. You, you know, the Welsh team had the mind, the mindset was there. They were not passing that line. And, and, and if it was that clear to me sitting, sitting in Brazil here on the television, surely the England players sensed it. Look, I think, um, I think it's, you have to be very careful with hindsight on these types of things. Um, the driving mall has been a massive weapon in this World Cup in particular. And you'll see it, uh, especially when you watch Australia play, David Pocock gets the ball at the back. It's basically a Brumbies tactic um, that uh, the Wallabies have sort of adopted. Um, they have a very strong driving mall. And, and it's been really, really effective for teams. If you set it properly and you go to the middle of the, of the line out or the back and you get to set it, it's very hard to stop. Um, so look, I... I don't have an issue with sides choosing to back themselves on the field and say, look, we'll back our preparation, we back our execution, we'll get this done. And I was really surprised at the time that they went to the corner because you just think, you know, in terms of the wider picture, in terms of the group, you know, obviously Wales had a lot of injuries and England still have another game at home. Um, a draw really wasn't the end of the world for them, um, especially given, you know, there were two minutes left. It wasn't like they would have had time to get the ball back from the kickoff. Um, so I, I think it's difficult when I watched it back on the, t- on the television, what I thought 
from an English point of view would have been very frustrating was that it just looked like a slightly panicked conversation um, with Rob Shaw. And then there was a big circle of them all making the decision. And George Ford, who I don't know why he was on the pitch. Um, that was an absolute bizarre substitution at that time. Um, seemed to be quite influential in the decision and sort of grabbed the ball and marched off to put it in the corner. And I, I think there's got to be a concern about how that decision was made. You know, it's got to be Rob Shaw's call, but you should know... <laughs> it should be coached what the decision would be at that point. So that's something they should have discussed um, before the game. And they just, they didn't seem clear as to what they wanted to do. So I think the big mistake they really made was throwing right to the front, which uh, which made it much easier for Wales to drive. It's still a hell of an effort from the Welsh pack, Luke Charteris in particular, to drive them out into touch. You don't see teams getting driven into touch very often from an offensive uh, line-out situation. But um, Look, it was it was the wrong call. It was the wrong call. They should have taken the points, um, and and had two minutes to come back down. Uh, but they made that decision, and, and they've just got to live with it now. Um, but yeah, obviously, it, it was. It, I didn't really see that it was. Um, I thought the risk in that situation to to try and drive them over when you could have just taken the points, come back down, um, or even taken the draw was was a strange strange call. Indeed. I'm going to come across to Stefan. Uh, for you, the same question. How did you read the game and, and you know, where did you watch it and your experience of it? And, and you know, the decision at the English, uh, by the English at the end, did you think it was foolhardy or, or, or brave? Um, well, I watched the game at home um, with my family, uh, my girlfriend and my dog. And uh, when, um, you know, like George, really, you know, we, we watching the game and um, we really didn't think it was going to be Wales's night. Uh, England had the edge um, up front. They, they they were winning the physical battle. They're playing some good rugby as well, and and they had us under a lot of pressure. But they they just couldn't quite push Wales that extra, you know, couple of inches to break them. And I think you know, we, what what Wales were, Wales weren't. Wales weren't the better side of the night. They weren't the stronger side. They were the smarter side. Um, you know, they 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 knew how to deal with England. They you know, they, they didn't commit that many men to the breakdown. They they found out a lot so that, you know, England couldn't really um uh get overlaps out wide. And um, you know, when 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 Wales got their chance later on in the game, uh they took it. So, you know, that that was pleasing because, you know, I've I've always been a believer that the if you, if you play uh, poorly and still win, you're a good side, and that's what Wales did. Um, but yeah, when when Wales did score that try, um, you know, from Gareth Davis, we we all went nuts. And similarly, when and when, rightly so, it was beautiful, beautifully taken. Yeah, when when Bigger had his penalty, and you know, when when he kicked the ball out to win the game, we, we were ecstatic, and you know, me and my father were actually crying. You know, I'm I'm usually quite um, analytical and. And um, measured when, when I watch Wales or or the Scarlets play, um, but there was something special about that that evening. Um, Wales had no right to be in the game yet, yet they they found a way. And you know, I just as a Welshman, I think the whole nation is incredibly proud of them. Um, you know, but but the 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 only negative really is the amount of injuries and um, moving forward in the competition. That's obviously going to be an issue. 
No, indeed. And uh, do you know something? I was very impressed with Bigger's kicking under pressure. You know, he did a really fantastic job for you. And, and, and there was another thing as well. I think, again, from watching it, it just looked like Wales in the last sort of 15 minutes were, were, were shocked to still be that close in the game. And I think that just added to the resolve. I think it just was just like this none shall pass attitude. And they just seemed to grow. And with every minute that went by, they just became more resolute in defence. And it was, a, it was a joy to watch. I think Wales would have been quietly confident that they could that they could win that game going into it. Um, you know, what one thing Warren Gatland has done um, over his um, eight years as as Welsh coach, seven or eight years, you know, he he has given his side a backbone. Um, he comes in for a lot of criticism that Wales don't play enough rugby. Um, you know, they're they're attritional, they're one dimensional, but this Welsh side is a very difficult side to beat. And England found that out in the weekend. You know, they had the upper hand for a lot of the game, but you know they, they just, as I said, they, they just couldn't push them that that those extra few inches to to be able to break them. Similar to what to Ireland uh, in the Six Nations, you know they, they just couldn't quite break Wales. And I, I just think you know if you've got a defence like Wales have got, if you've got a back row like Wales have gotten, let, let me tell you one thing. You know there's been a lot of um, a, a lot of um, uh, support in Wales for Justin Tipperick and he's a great player but Dan Lidiot was absolutely outstanding on the weekend and he has been for a while he, he's such a key player for Wales um, defensively he's he's immense and uh, for me um, I know Bigger was man of the match but Lidiot and Farletow in that back row were, were, were magnificent and Farletow especially you know he, he really you know came he, he really took Wales forward in the second half and yeah, I, I just think, you know, moving forward, that even though we have got injuries, I think the exciting thing is Wales didn't play well and they won and, and they can still play better. So, yeah, um, it is looking good for Wales at the moment. Indeed. I'll come across to Sam. Uh, I, I take it you were in the pub. I take it you had a, a fairly good day of it. Yes, mate. Yeah, I was just in my local pub for this game. Uh, having been in Cardiff for the Uruguay game, I think my bank account couldn't have taken a trip to Twickenham. Uh, but yeah, watching my local, um, the first round I had, my mate Dwayne got me a Sambuca <laughs> chaser along with the pint. So uh, you knew it was going to be a long game then. <laughs> I, 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 lo- I love the description you give of your day in, in measures of alcohol. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to start... I'm going to have to start toning it down, I think, because you're going to start thinking I'm an alcoholic every time I'm telling you how bad it got. <laughs> oh, c- come on, we watch rugby, we all drink. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh, when it comes to the game, you know, um, key key element of the game, obviously, was the scrum. And, you know, massive controversy regards to the scrum. You know, Marla's scrummaging technique, I don't know if you've, seen the analysis of it after the game but his his scrummaging he's completely boring in and Rob Shaw had actually left his his second row and was even on a further angle so it just made it look like we were struggling but basically they cheated the hell out of the scrums so you know fair play to Wales we we had that against us the ref wasn't picking up on it at all so we were under the cosh the whole time um when it comes to the uh, the kick at the end uh, you were saying about the um, when they kicked to the corner, and um, what I thought was key, basically within the within the last twenty minutes when we made all the substitutions, uh, Luke Charteris came on, and Samson Lee came on, and I thought Samson Lee, you know, obviously really good scrummager, helped us out on that element. 
But when it came to the line out in the corner, they basically shat their pants and they thought, right, Luke Charteris is there now. And they totally jibbed out going for the for the middle ball or the, the, the back of the line now to try and set up the rolling ball. So they went safe because of, and I, I give credit to Chartres for that. And he's actually the guy that got them out, off the pitch as well. So, you know, um, I and the fact that we actually managed to grind out the result when we had boys dropping like flies all over the pitch. You know, we had we had Lloyd Williams on the wing <laughs> for a start and he was actually hitting the scrum chip ahead the as well. Yeah, well, it's such a bizarre thing. I think it was just fate because there was shades of the Scott Williams try uh, previously with the little chip ahead and and scoring. But I think it was just fate. You know, we had if we'd have had a winger down the side there, I'm not sure we'd have had the footballing skills to actually set Gareth Davis in under the post anyway. So I, I don't know what it was. I think it was just we wanted it more than England that day. I think England got a bit complacent when they had the 10 point lead. And then they just thought, oh, we'll try and hang on to this. But in the end, we just, once we had that try, you saw England basically started a panic. And, you know, in the end, they had that kick to make a draw. And I don't know what the hell happened in Robshaw's head. I think he just rushed blood, adrenaline. I don't know what it was, but he, I think maybe he just got too cocky. You know, as, as the boys were saying earlier, the rolling mall off the line out has been a really big success story this World Cup so far and it's a really hard thing to stop so I think he was just so confident they were going to score that he just went for it you know but um, and uh, just to uh, reiterate as well regards to Dan Lidiot I, I sort of stat earlier um, just to back up Stefan and yeah he made 15 tackles in the game which is more than any other player so same here I really thought he stood out and was absolutely key in making us win the game no, indeed. Um, as I say, I just, for me, watching it, you know, I've watched enough rugby over my time, and, and you just looked at the faces on the television, the Welsh faces of that team. There was nothing going past them in, the, in, in that last 10 minutes. They, you know, they, they, they got the scent of, of, of weakness from England, and, and, and they just they just had resolve. And, it, and it was, I just loved that game. As I say, I totally loved it. But listen, I want to come across to George again, and, and I want to ask you, all of you, I'm going to come to each of you on, on this one. I read a piece uh, in, in one of the newspapers that, that was suggesting that the English were set up to defend, and that's where they lost the game. George, do you think that's a fair a fair assumption? No, I, I, I mean, I think I, look, I think England have had massive, and what this is basically referring to is their midfield. Um, they've had not really found a proper midfield since uh, 2003, where they had Will Greenwood and Mike Tyndall playing that. Was just, probably one of the greatest midfield combinations of all time. Did they set up to, to defend? I think I think they were worried about Jamie Roberts, which is not unreasonable because everyone knows that if Wales get Roberts over the gain line, they get their go forward and then they get forwards coming around the corner. That's that's integral to the way that Wales play and to them being successful. Um, so, look, what you also have to bear in mind, they couldn't pick Jonathan, Jonathan Joseph, um, who is probably... Uh, their real sort of attacking spark um, in the midfield. So that was a big blow for them. Uh, so they, they they said, look, we're going to be dominant up front, which they were. And they said, we're going to kind of shut up shop um, and play Barrett and Burgess together and, and, and make sure that we're not getting beaten on the game line. Um, 
and and you know yeah so so, so look maybe it was a conservative selection we we can talk about that um maybe that goes back to who they picked in the initial squad and leaving guys like Kyle Eastman out you know they seem very reluctant to pick Henry Slade although he's um going to be an absolutely stunning player really he's very very talented so so yeah look I think it was conservative but I don't think that was the wrong player I said last week before the game on the podcast that I would be more worried if England picked Farrell than Ford because I don't think that the way they set their midfield up helps Ford. I don't think you can play Ford with Brad Barrett at 12. So, and I think Farrell justified his selection. I think he had a great game and they picked him again for next weekend. So, I, do you know what? I, even though it was a slightly negative selection, I don't, I don't think that was why they lost. Um, they lost because they let Wales back into the game with really poor indiscipline at the breakdown, which has been a problem for them at a really, for a really long time. Um, they just give away silly penalties for not rolling away hands on the floor, stuff like that. And it allowed Wales, given that Bigger was kicking so well, to stay in touch, um, which was massive given that they didn't have any platform. They couldn't really get up the pitch because their line-out wasn't any good and they were giving away penalties at the scrum. So if they'd been more disciplined at the breakdown, hadn't given Wales those cheap points, I think they would have been far enough ahead that it wouldn't have mattered. Look, when you look at the try that Wales scored, it's a, it's a horrible defensive read from Brad Barrett. Um, and they did... They did have issues as a defensive unit all evening in terms of what they were doing. Um, I think Burgess did look a little bit lost, which is no slight on him. It's just, you know, it's just too soon, basically. Um, but, but Barrett really struggled for pace in the 13 channel and it it was on for Wales to get outside them. Um, you pretty much the whole time Scott Williams made a break at, at towards the end of the first half as well. Um, and, and, and for the Gareth Davies tribe, Brad Barrett just rushes out of the line. There's no need to. Um, the ball gets outside him and the rest is history. So, look, I think it was a conservative selection, but I don't, I, I don't think that was the wrong thing for England to do. I, I don't think they've got, definitely not in the squad, I don't think they've got the players to play this really expansive game plan. Um, so I think they're better off playing to their strengths, but they just they were too indisciplined. Um, and Brad Barrett, who, who is usually... You know, the best defender in the English side just, just made a really poor defensive read. Um, and it's, it's fine margins, isn't it? So I don't, I don't particularly blame their selection. I think what was inexplicable was bringing off Burgess for Ford when you were, what was it, seven to ten points clear with ten minutes to go. That makes no sense to me. I just don't understand. Why would you want George Ford on the pitch at that point when you're trying to close out a game? Um, I, I thought that was very strange. Um, so I'd take much more issue with the substitution than the initial selection. No, that's great. And Stefan, for, for you, would you agree with George? Or is there anything else you want to add into that? I think, you know, some of the substitutions were were strange to say the least. Um, ben Young's going off was was a big blow for England. I, I know, you know, that that was due to injury, but he was really causing Wales a lot of problems. Um, you know, he he was keeping their back row honest, whereas Richard Wigglesworth, you know, he's an efficient scrum half. He's got good service in him, but he doesn't really challenge defenses. So Young's going off was a blow, even though that, that was enforced. But yeah, same as George, really. I, I am a big fan of of, of George Fording. He's, he's a lovely footballer. He's got a lot of peripheral vision and get the best out of his back division. But Owen, you know, Dan Bigger, obviously, what was the best 10 in the night. He was phenomenal. But Owen Farrell had a fine game as well. Um, you know, he, he just didn't look like he was going to miss a kick at goal. Um, he was strong in defence. Um, you know, and... and you know his distribution is fairly good as well, and what Owen Farrell has got, he's he's a he's a tough customer, and 
you know he he can control a game of rugby so to take game off um when when you're you know in in the lead like England were and obviously you know the the game wasn't won at that point they were only 10 points ahead or 7 points ahead um you know it was strange but the big the biggest blunder that Lancaster made was taking off Sam Burgess um you know but Burgess perhaps didn't have you know a standout game you know we we weren't really seeing the offloads and the and the line breaks but you know he his defense is, is you know is is just very strong his his all round play is is huge and even though it's a different sport you know he's played in in a lot of occasions such as you know he, he was playing in on saturday you know he's played in the NRL final uh, he's played for england in in rugby league he's he's played super league so he he knows how to cope with pressure and when he went off and when Farrell went off, that sort of midfield was left exposed. Um, you know, Wales obviously had a lot of injuries, as we've already said, you know, Lloyd Williams on the wing. Um, so, you know, Wales were, were forced to play a bit more. And, you know, consequently, they they exploited that England midfield because, as as George said, you know, the the try that, that, that Wales scored, Gareth Davis's try, that was a horrible defensive read by Barrett, you know, Suppose he's supposedly in the side because of his defence, but his defence was shocking. And you know, Brad Barrett is a very good club player in my opinion. You know, he's he does the basics well. He's he's good in defence, but is he really an international class player? Um, for me, he he really doesn't offer enough going forward. And you know, when when Lancaster named his original squad, I I thought it was a poor call to drop Luther Burrell for. You know, pe- people made the the point that it was Sam Burgess, but I I would have selected Burgess and. And dropped Barrett because I, I just don't think he, he brings enough to the party. But yeah, I mean, in, England had that game, uh, maybe not won, um, because as I said, they couldn't quite, they, they were on top up front, but they didn't overpower Wales apart from the scrum. They were in a winning position, and to take Owen Farrell, who had a fine game, Burgess had a very solid game as well, to take both these players off, who were the two strongest defensive players in that England backline. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but for me, that's a, a really poor call. And, and and as Sam said, you know, bringing bringing Samson Lee on that that improved the scrum slightly. Um, Chartres made made a big impact, you know. So so Warren Gatland uses his bench very wisely. Very good coaching there. And Lancaster, I'm sorry, he's he's got it badly wrong. Yep. And um, um, well, I think there was error somewhere down the line. Sam, for you, have you anything more that you want to add on this before before I move on? Um, yeah, kind of echoing a lot of what the boys have said. As as George said, their hands were tied a bit uh, regards to Jonathan Joseph obviously being injured. Um, I, I did read something earlier, Gordon Darcy absolutely slating Sam Burgess's performance. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, got a bit of a quote here. Uh, he's just saying, Burgess lacks the sense of timing in attack and defence required to be effective at international level international level his naivety embarrassed those around him and severely damaged England's chances of reaching the quarterfinals I thought that was wow. extremely harsh wow. <laughs> extremely, extremely harsh on the guy but for a novice you know that's just come across from rugby league but I suppose Darcy's point is why the hell are you playing a, a practical novice in a game of this magnitude when you know 
uh, Luther Burrell, for instance, has caused Wales problems in the past. But, um, you know, as the boys are saying, maybe he, he thought, oh, we'll go for the, the solid physical tackling kind of player um, and, and try to play it a bit safe. But maybe in hindsight now, um, that wasn't the right call. But at the same time, you could also say England quite could have quite easily ended up winning that game despite having him in there. You know, it was such a fine margin. It was just basically down to our bench and we wanted it more that made the difference. So, you know, putting it down to conservative midfield, it was always going to be a tight game, even if they had Jonathan Joseph in or whoever, you know. And, you know, their their try itself, in my opinion, was actually a bit of a fluke. It was one of those ones where you, you see this happen all the time when someone makes a really bad pass and it went to Mike Brown's toes. When the ball hits the deck, sometimes the opposition defence just has a massive brain fart and they just get completely disorganised because the ball's hit the deck and they just try and go for the ball. And then when that happened, they ended up scoring in the corner. I can't remember who it was, lost position then. I don't know if it was Halame Moss. Um, but, you know, so even their try, I thought, was a bit lucky. And as soon as they had that try, they had the gap they needed and they just kind of sat back and tried to just see the game out. But obviously. Maybe if they'd have attacked us, they'd have won the game. No, indeed. Um, and and I, want, I want to stick with you here because uh, on to the next point. And before I ask the same question of Wales, I want to ask the three of you uh, about England. And sadly, we don't have uh, any English represent, representation on this pod. And and again, I'm going to I'm going to throw it out there. Anybody who would like to come on, give us your voice. You're very, very welcome here. Um, we're completely open to anybody coming to us. You can approach us in the sin bin. You can approach me directly. No problem. We'll get you on and give you a voice. Absolutely no problem. So, Sam, I want to ask you, what now for England? What do you see, uh, you know, what do you see the rest of the tournament looking like for them? Because uh, these Australians, they're, they're looking quite good. Australia are actually looking superb. You know, I think they're a, they're a massive contender to win this tournament. Uh, but... You never know. You know, England are at home. They're wounded. Um, you know, they're a really good outfit. There's no two ways about it. It's it's not over yet. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't just write them off. A lot of people seem to think now it's in the bag. You know, Wales are going to beat Fiji. Uh, Australia are going to beat England. Goodbye, England, you know. But th- there's got to be a reaction. I'd be stunned if they just get walked over by Australia. But, you know, at the same time, Australia are just better than them. So Australia are going to have to have a hell of a bad day and England are going to have to hit top form to have any chance of doing this. But I'm not so sure. No, indeed. And Stefan, for you, what what next for England? Do you see them bouncing back strongly uh, or do you see Australia winning that game? I think England will win. Um, I just think, you know, as Sam said, there's going to be a reaction. Um, They're home, they're the hosts. Um, and and I just I just look at that England, you know we look at that England performance on the weekend. They were on top for for the vast majority of that game. Um, the set I know you could argue they were scrummaging illegally. They have to sort that out because it's it's under the spotlight now, and and you know the refs aren't going to fall for it anymore. But you know regardless, they've got a world class scrum. The driving line out is is world class. I'm not so keen on their back row as I've said before. I think there's there's not really the balance there, and that is an area that Australia have a considerable advantage in with Pocock and, and Hooper. And I think Jonathan Joseph coming back into the side, um, 
gives their backline a lot more balance. And as you said, that was a huge blow for for England coming into the game because you know they they were forced to reshuffle their backline, and um, you know it doesn't really look like he made the right uh, Lancaster made the right selections there. But you know, let's put this in perspective. It's it's England's World Cup. They're home. Um, they've just lost to Wales. You know, a side that they they obviously don't like losing to. Um, not that they like losing to anybody, but they especially don't like losing to Wales. Um, and if they lose another game, they're, they're out of their own World Cup. Um, assuming Wales win tomorrow, so uh, I just uh, look Australia are a contender to win this this World Cup. The the winners of the Rugby Championship. They beat the All Blacks a couple of months ago. They, they got world class players all around this side, but I I just think at home, do or die. You know, England can have the mentality as if it's a World Cup final. I. I just, I just think that they're going to have that little bit of an extra edge, and I think we're going to be in for a, a very nerve-wracking final weekend in this pool. Indeed, George, I'll come to you, and and you know, on the back of what Steph, Stefan said there, for me, uh, I, I look at this the Australia England game and, and say to myself, you know, England have had that big test uh, against Wales, you know, that it's 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 a completely different test to, to what Australia's had so far. To me, that makes them a favourite. And also, you know, Stefan and I had spoken on the last pod when we were on with the, with the Southern Hemisphere crew about silencing um, Twickenham early on, which Wales did with two penalties. They, they took the lead twice and they took the sort of energy out of, of Twickenham. Would, would that be, well, you were there, obviously, so you can confirm that. Would that be, would that be fair? I'm not too sure about that, mate. I have to say, I think it was, um, I think it was pretty bouncing still. I just want to make a quick point. Actually, I think Sam made the point that he 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 thought that the um, the English try was a bit fortunate. I, I thought Wales really struggled to defend on the short side the whole evening. Um, it was just just something which was very poor, and I thought England exploited exploited that very cleverly. And it was um, I think it was Ben Youngs who picked up the ball and then and then passed it to Johnny May. And I thought actually it was quite an intelligent piece of play. Um, so so that's something Wales needs to sort out, and it was it was well exploited by England. Um, in terms of the game this weekend, I think uh, it's just another one of those ones that it's uh, too difficult to call. Um, I think, you know, a wounded animal England at home in the World Cup, they have to win. So, you know, they know if they lose that out, um, they're going to be incredibly tough to beat. Um, and I think, you know, as Stefan said, I think in the back row, um, especially with Billy Vunapola missing, who I thought was just monumental the weekend. I thought he had a fantastic game, really, really hurt Wales. I, I do think, you know, England will have problems on the deck. Um, they've got Ben Morgan coming in, who's short on games. He's been out injured for a long time. Um, and then I, I just just personally not a massive fan of um, Tom Wood at six and Chris Robshaw at seven together. I just don't, don't think for a test level back row, they quite do enough for me. Um, I don't think the balance is quite right. So, so I think Australia will have a key advantage in that area. Um, I think the Aussies will be okay in the scrum. I think their scrum is better than Wales' scrum. Um, so I don't think England will have particular dominance there. However, you know, I, I, I do think England will still have problems. Apparently they're going to select Farrell at 10 again, which I think is the right decision. But they've still got this slight issue with playing Brad Barrett at 12 and Joseph at 13. And it, it, to me, it's just not particularly functional. I don't think the balance is quite right. So I do think they might struggle to break the Wallabies down. Um, on the other hand, uh, I think everyone speaks about, you know, the fact that Australia traditionally have this fantastic backline. 
I, I do think they've actually I have more concerns about them there than in the pack, which might be a bit of a controversial thing to say. Um, Tavita Kurajani, who plays 13 for them, who's one of the best best centres in the world for, for a couple of years, is really struggling for form. Um, throughout the whole of the rugby championship, he just didn't get going. Um, and he's a big player for them. So he'll need to, to step up and really improve on Saturday. And then I, I'm just personally not a massive fan of Bernard Foley at 10. Um, I just think he's quite flaky. And uh, I worry about him under pressure, especially in Twickenham. Um, I, I just worry that he might have a bit of an off day and that England might be able to get to him a little bit. So um, that that would be a concern for me. As I said from the start, I think on the preview pod, I was worried about Australia's halfbacks. Um, and I don't think the situation has you know, gone that much clearer. I think if Quay Cooper's goal kicking hadn't been quite so poor at the weekend, he might have been pushing for a recall. But I think he kicked something like four from 11. So it's very difficult to pick him on the back of that. Um, I think it will be very, very close. Um, you know, the Wallabies knock out rugby. They'll sort of dig in. They're always very, very hard to beat. They just they just don't get beaten easily. Um, so it's going to be very, very close. But uh, but look, obviously, from a Welsh perspective, we've got to, got to hope that Australia comes through because um, I think with all our injuries, that's going to be a tough, tough game for us in a week or so. Um, and if we have to go there, you know, have, having to potentially win that game, if England win this weekend, then that, that could be a big ask. Um, so I, I, I think it's too close to call, but yeah, what an amazing spectacle it will be um, at Twickenham on Saturday and just, just looking forward to watching, really. Yeah, Saturday seemed to be throwing us some great games. We had South Africa the first weekend with, with yourselves in England, and now we have England and Australia. Some real super games there. But I want to, I'll stick with you, George, here. And, and you know, we're, we're going to look now at the, at the fortunes of Wales. You know, they're a bit decimated with injuries. You're a bit of a walking wounded side. Um, how do you see the lineup against Fiji, and, and what do you expect to see in that game? Uh, I, I think it's always very difficult to know. Uh, when you're playing the Fijians, um, I'm really glad that, that I would think it was a no-brainer to go in at full strength um, because Wales need they need obviously need to win this game. But if they could win with a bonus point, then um, just in terms of the permutations of how the points work out in the group, that would be massive for them. Um, the likelihood if they beat Fiji with a bonus point is that um, a, a losing bonus point against Australia would be enough to take them through um, on head-to-head versus England because I think. If England beats Australia, that you know that gets them up to ten points. They'll take five against Uruguay, so they would likely be on fifteen. But if Wales can get five points tomorrow and then you know take a losing bonus point potentially against Australia, um, that would get them to fifteen as well. They go through on head to head. So, with all respect to the Fijians, because um, I do think it will be a very tricky game. Ideally, if Wales could really put their foot down and in the last twenty minutes score some tries. Uh, that would be just in terms of pressure before Saturday for the other sides. That would be a huge, huge statement of intent. Um, I think Wales have got to sort out the set piece. Obviously, you know, there's an issue with Joe Marlon. He, he doesn't scrummage particularly straight. Um, however, I think Gethin, Gethin Jenkins. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On his side, he dropped his bind for the first penalty. Um, and then he actually won a penalty uh, completely illegally by, by sort of boring in against uh, Dan Cole as well. So his scrummaging is a concern. Um, the other big concern is that Scott Baldwin, who, who's actually been injured, so had only got about 50 minutes of rugby before the um, the England game, just just had an awful game, really. His throwing was very poor. He, he sort of underthrew constantly. Um, and he didn't show up too well in the loose either. So it's a big, big show of faith to stick with him ahead of Ken Owens, who was very strong off the bench. He needs to improve. I thought the Welsh back row were just phenomenal against England. You know, they're probably probably the best balance of, of any back row in the competition, um, I think. They were the ones that really carried Wales in 2011 in the World Cup. And uh, they were just, you know, Toby Falatau especially on, on Saturday was just just outstanding. Injuries-wise, you know, Scott Williams is a massive loss and playing really good rugby. So that's a massive shame. But Tyler Morgan, who I really like, will come in at 13. He's very, very quick um, and he's got really good feet. Likes to offload as well. So I, I'm a big fan of his and I think... He struggled a little bit in the warm-up game against Ireland, but that was a very scratch team and, you know, that we're sort of going backwards. Um, so I think playing with Dan Bigger and Jamie Roberts really, really helped him. And I, um, I actually expect him to go really well. I'm not too concerned about him. Um, more of a concern would be the fact that we've picked Matthew Morgan at fullback, uh, which I just think is a bit of an unnecessary risk. For anyone who's not watched him play, he's, he's got unbelievable feet. He's very quick. but. Um, He's, he's, he's basically very, very short. So um, if they choose to put up high balls, I'd be concerned about that. I'd be concerned about him defensively as well if they break the line. Um, so I would have played, I don't think Gareth Anscombe, who, who I'm a really big fan of, I hope I hope he'll come in and um, maybe even start at 15 for Wales and push Liam Williams out to the wing uh, with George North later in the tournament. Um, I, I would have played Rhys Priestland at, at fullback for this game um, just to be a bit more steady because... I think Wales just need to be solid and then the last 20 minutes they can really put their foot down. Um, so I would worry a bit about Morgan. He, he'd be my only real concern. But look, I, I think it's a strong enough Welsh side, especially up front, to really grab the game by the scruff of the neck and just get the job done. Um, Fiji are missing probably their two best players in Nemani Nadolo, the winger, um, and Nico Matawalu, who, who anyone who watches the Pro 12 will know. is just a phenomenal player. Um, so they're two big misses for them. Um, and yeah, look, I, I think Wales have, 
had bad days with Fiji before, so you have to be have to be sort of careful with what you say. But I'm I'm confident these guys are focused now. I think you know they know that the England result will mean nothing if they don't win this game. So I think they'll go out, and I I, I think I think they may take a bonus point as well. Um, you're playing at home as well. You have to remember, which is really really nice. So um, no, I I feel quite confident actually, which is probably a stupid thing to say. <laughs> no, I, 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 as a neutral again, I, I would share your confidence in that one, Sam. For you, what do you feel about the team, and, and is is the bonus point uh, as, as essential for you? Um, yeah, I think it is actually. Um, I think if we can get the bonus point against Fiji, it would put massive pressure on England. Then England will be downhearted because they know if if we don't get the bonus point, England will have it in their head. Right, win these last two games. It's uh, like a sniff. Five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. I know it sounds. Yeah. yeah, it sounds silly, but if we get this bonus point because we play first, it it puts so much pressure on England, and I think you know that might be enough to make them actually lose against Australia, which you know they might do anyway. But regards to the Welsh team, I'm actually really happy with it. I don't think we could have gone much stronger. You know, the only the only improvement I'd have made. Well, I wouldn't have made it because he's not fully fit. But Liam Williams, uh, he's he's on the bench, I think. Um, but obviously, due to the knock he had last game, I don't think it would have been wise to start him. But yeah, I got the same concerns as George regards to Matthew Morgan. He's a hell of a runner. You know, the shades of Shane Williams sometimes. But having a guy of his size at fullback against big, strong Fiji, you know, who had a bit of joy uh, from the up and unders, uh, against England, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's a concern for me. Uh, you know, I fancy us to beat them because we have gone with a really strong team, uh, knowing that a win with a bonus point here pretty much cements our place in the next round. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm not 100% confident we're going to be able to beat them by enough uh, to get the four the four tries. You know, Australia, for instance, now, they, they only conceded three against Australia and two of those were set-piece tries. So there's just one try that they scored in open play. And this is Australia, which, who are arguably the best team in the world, maybe the second behind New Zealand when it comes to the backs and how, how they finish off tries. So, you know, that's a big concern for me. But um, again, Fiji are missing two of their best players, as George said. So, you know, it, it might have evened it out. And fingers crossed, we can kind of, put to bed the demons that we've had with Fiji in the past and actually smash them off the park and then put England under pressure. No, indeed. And I'll come to Stefan. The same for you. Uh, just with, with, with a little sort of spiky question in with it. Uh, are you concerned, given the physicality of these Fijians, that, that you could possibly run up more injuries because you are basically the walking wounded? It, it's been You've been so unlucky with injuries. Look, any time you, you go on a field of rugby, there's a, there's a high chance that you're going to get in injuries. Uh, it's just part and parcel of the game. Um, you know, as Warren Gatland has said in the press this week, there's no point dwelling on it. You know, there's no point worrying about it because ultimately there's not much you can do about it. Um, you know, you can't think about injuries. You just got to get on with it. Um, you know, the Fijians are very physical, but, but so are Wales. You know, you look at the size of that Welsh side, including some of the backs and, you know, it's it's absolutely massive, and it gives as good as it gets. So, um, yeah, you know, Fiji are dangerous in this game. I think losing Nico Matavalovu and uh, Nemanja Nadolo, uh, they're huge blows. Nadolo for me is one one of the finest wingers in the world. If 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 he was um, 
uh, playing for um, you know if he was a Kiwi and Australian and Englishman he'd be in a starting lineup. He's that good, uh, Matavalvo. Um, you know he's such a dangerous player. You know we've seen that um, that break he made against England in the first game. Um, you know that that was cruelly denied. That 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 is a threat he brings. So to lose them two players is huge for Fiji. It's a massive blow. Um, in terms of the Welsh um, side, um, it's a it's a very strong side. Um, Wales have have actually shown that they've got a bit more depth than people give them credit for. Obviously, not the extent of the bigger nations like England, South Africa, New Zealand, but um, considering the amount of injuries they've had, the side out isn't too bad. Um, I'm I'm a bit surprised that he hasn't selected Ken Owens and Samson Lee. Um, Baldwin didn't have a great game against England. His throwing in was poor, um, and I assume that that along with his scrummaging on size is is the reason he was selected ahead of Ken in the first place. But I think Ken brings a lot more energy to proceedings and I think it would be nice to um to freshen stuff up there. Um Samson Lee as well. I you know I think Francis is a work in progress. Um as we've already said numerous times in the show, um he he didn't have an easy ride and part of that reason was because Marla was scrummaging illegally, he was boring in. <clears throat> but I would have liked to have seen Samson there because he is a superior scrummager. But yeah, you know, it's a strong squad. Um, he, ha- he had to go with his stronger squad because it's a must-win game. And then he's got an eight-day turnaround to the Australian game, so he's got a bit of leeway there. I wouldn't have picked Matthew Morgan at full-back. I think he's he's a deadly counter-attacker. Um, ideal to come off the bench, but I do worry about his, up- um, about his ability in the air. If I was a Fijian coach, John McKee, I'd be telling my outside half, Ben Volavola, to just put the ball up in the air and um, and challenge him in the air because obviously he's not going to be the strongest aerially. So I, I would have picked Reese Priest in full back or just uh, plump for Gareth Anscombe personally. But apart from that, it's, it's a very strong Welsh side. It's got it's got a decent bench uh, bench as well actually, which is um, which is very positive considering the injuries. I, I, I think in terms of the game and, and the potential result, um like like the lads have said really, um I I do think Wales will win. I think you know, it's gonna be full house in the Millennium Stadium. Um, you know, the whole country's on a high after beating England. But I think everybody realizes as well that this group's a long way from, from being finished and I just think Wales will have a little bit too much. But in terms of the bonus point, which would be very welcome, um you know, I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Fiji, um, what, one key appointment Fiji made before this competition was um, making Franz Ludecki, uh, the Blue Bulls coach, their, their forwards coach. He's really brought their technical as- uh, the technical aspect of the game a lot stronger in Fiji. Their scrummaging is very good. Saulo, their, their tight dead prop, he's going to cause Gethin Jenkins a lot of trouble tomorrow because I've been, you know, Fiji scrum, cope the English scrum far better than Wales did which is concerning. You know, I think that they're a lot more streetways than they have been in the past. So they're, they're a difficult side to break down. But I, I think I think Wales will have a bit too much up front. And I think I think Wales has just got to be patient and they've got to be clinical. You know, if Wales go out 100 miles an hour and start throwing the ball wide from, from minute one, that's when they'll come unstuck. But if they can just go through the phases, keep it structured, um, you know, t- um, draw Fiji into a tight game, then hopefully maybe later on they can get some tries. But, you know, I, I think Wales will win, but the bonus point, I'm not quite sure about. 
That's what makes it so much fun. Uh, but as I say, as you say, a full house in the millennium, the, the, you know, there's going to be no, no lacking of backing for you uh, at all. Listen, that, that's great. I want to move across and, and ask you about Ireland um, and, you know, the game coming up with the Italians. I'm going to come to George on this one first. Um, the Italians have looked extremely weak. Ireland have looked extremely... Uh, Ireland have been able to, to, to rotate the squad, give people a break. The, the, to me, they're looking fine for the moment. And, and as I always say, I'm not getting over the top and I'm not getting enthused just yet. We'll get out of the group and then we'll start talking. Um, I, I just... I'm curious as to what you've made of, of, of Italy, George, because they have been... You know, they're, they're not the greatest rugby side in the world, but they're better than what they're showing at this World Cup. I think I've got a bit of a bone to pick with, with Italy on this front in the sense that for a very long time now, they've been given a lot of support, um, a lot of funding. You know, we we have the two Italian sides in the Pro 12, which massively sort of undermines the integrity of the league in the sense that neither of them are competitive um, whatsoever. Um, they've obviously been involved in the Six Nations for a very long time. And I think it's gotten to the point now where you have to say, are they getting any better? And the answer is almost certainly no. Um, you know, are, are they producing players? No. Um, I think, you know, and there's got to be a conversation now about you've got these sides like Georgia coming through, you know, in North America, you've got Canada who actually have some really good players. You've got the US who, especially with sevens being in the Olympics, I think rugby union is actually the fastest growing sport in terms of uh, participation numbers in the United States at the moment. So it's really going to blow up over there. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, the obvious sides like Japan as well. Um, Fiji and Samoa will get stronger as well. So there's got to be a conversation very soon about how much longer do we keep on supporting Italian rugby when it's just not progressing? And a lot of these lesser nations who aren't involved in competitions like the Six Nations and get nowhere near the same amount of um, funding from World Rugby and support um, seem to be really, you know, punching above their weight. Um, so I think if you're an Italian rugby fan, it's massively concerning. I don't think Ireland will have any issues with playing Italy. I know they'll get Parise back, who's just obviously completely outstanding and sort of uh, his presence on the pitch as much as anything is massively important for them psychologically. Um, but I, I expect Ireland to beat them, you know, by, by 30 plus points, really. Having said that, I do, I do worry slightly for Ireland. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, mate. I, I, I do worry about the France game, um, which obviously will be very close. But I, I, I worry about, you know, I think the French pack is probably the best pack in the competition. Um, Good call. And I think, you know, Matteo Bastro looks like he's been sort of whipped into the shape of his life over summer and he's just playing unbelievable rugby. Um, so... You know, they've got Scott Spedding from the back, who's a very strong runner if you kick loosely as well. So that that's going to be a hell of a game. Hell of a game to watch. Um, I'm actually dreading it. I, I'll tell you now, I'm actually dreading it. And I've, and I've called it in this pod before. It, it, you know, I know that France are, are a pale imitation of what we expect them to be um, coming into this tournament. But they're in it now. And they do cause me a concern, George. I think that's that's a very credible call you've made. I would, I, I mean, I would, I would hate to play the French because I just think they take us to the cleaners in the set piece, um, even more so than England did, to be honest. Um, and I, I, you know, I personally think they're really, really strong. I do think they could even go on and win um, the whole thing. So 
I, I don't know what will happen. I think, you know, Ireland have got a fantastic back row and their halfbacks are outstanding. Um, I'm not a massive fan of um, Jared Payne at 13, I think. I think his best days are slightly behind him, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, he's been taking a bit. He took a bit of stick this week from from Joe Smith as well. He's just, uh, just not as quick as he used to be, mate. So I, I watched a lot of him when he played, you know, back in New Zealand before he came over to Ulster. Um, and he's a very, very good club level player. You know, all these Kiwis do the basics incredibly well. They're very competent, but he's he's not young anymore. I think he's in his late late twenties at best, and I think he's just lost a little bit of that pace he used to have. Um, and when you're defending in the 13 channel or if you're trying to break teams down offensively, that's, that's really important. So I think it's a shame that Robbie Henshaw isn't playing at 13 because that's, that's his natural position. He's not really an inside centre. Um, and I'm a big fan of his. I think he's going to be just, you know, for the next decade, really a huge player for Ireland. Um, but look, the, the other thing to say about that draw is that you, once you get into the quarterfinals, I think, I think Scotland look very good as well now. So there aren't going to be any easy games. Um, but Argentina is a horrible game. You know, you, you think you don't want to get the All Blacks, and then you get Argentina, who also look really good up front and and actually um, behind the pack and uh, look really exciting as well. So the, the, yeah, they also played some horrible. played some lovely running rugby as well uh, at the weekend. Past there at Argentina, you know, we saw, we saw the two phases of of Argentina in the two games that they played. They played the, the physical up front game against the All Blacks, and they played the expansive game then in their second game. And Argentina, you know, you talk about Italy and whatnot. Argentina have emerged and and, and continued to grow. You know, as I say, they're a neighbouring country to where I am here at the minute. Um, and and you know, it's huge down there uh, at the moment. Rugby is really sort of taken off. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think they're really just just very very impressive, and you know, they love traditionally do very well in world World Cups as well. They're really, you know, in these one off knockout games. So. Um, I think they're the type of side who could very conceivably sort of just, you know, make a semi-final very quietly without anyone noticing. Look, I, I think whichever way you spin it, the quarter-final draw is really tough. Um, and, and yeah, um, I think it will be difficult. But look, I, I think Ireland-France is going to be a massive game. It will be very difficult to call. The concern for Ireland is that if they're not airily winning the battles, it's very difficult for them to get up the pitch because they rely very heavily on their kicking game. So making sure that they're good in the air and that they're dominating um, dominating that side of things against the French is going to be very important for them. Uh, and, and really, you know, as I said, I said on the pod previous, I, I just worry about, you know, if the French game was out of the way, my optimism might be a little bit more, but until it is... You know, I, I looked at, at Italy going in as well, but Italy, as you say, have just been atrocious. Sam, I'm, I'm going to come across to you. Uh, uh, what, what have you made of Ireland so far, France and Italy? You know, since we're talking about the group, uh, you can you can cover all three. Well, I think I think Ireland are actually standing out as the 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 best of the Six Nation team so far, but. Obviously, it's quite hard to judge based on who they've had to play. So, you know, it, it might be a bit of a false uh, showing, really. But we'll, you know, we'll find out now against Italy. I can't see you having any problems against Italy at all, mate. Uh, you know, they've been really poor. You know, they've really struggled uh, throughout the World Cup so far. Uh, you know, they, there's a, a lot of talk saying Parise will be fit now to be able to play in that game, which which makes a massive difference for them. You know, but. I, I still fully expect Ireland to come away with a bonus point win from that game. And, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about the France game because, 
at the end of the day, you'd have already qualified by then. So, you know, I know it's a case of who you have in the next round, but I'm not someone who's worried about that. You know, like with Wales now, who we have in the next round, if we get through, doesn't really matter to me. You know, coming quarterfinals or semi-finals is no different in my eyes. You know, it's it's all about getting to the final and winning the thing. So, you know, you've got to beat them all at the end of the day. Uh, regards to France, they're, they're just one of those teams and they, they, they just seem to peak when it comes to the World Cup. You know, it doesn't matter what their form, their form can be in the toilet coming into a World Cup, right? They'll just show up on, on the, in the World Cup and they just seem to bring it together at the right time. I don't know how they do it, uh, you know, but we, we, we'll see, you know, as uh, as George was saying earlier, they're looking really, really sharp now. But in my opinion, I, I fancy Ireland to just sneak past them and uh, and to top the group. No, and unfortunately, I see it coming down to, to a nail-biter like you had against England. Uh, and that's that's where I am with it at the minute. I don't see it being any way comfortable against, uh, against France at all. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of people, there's a train of thought out there that Ireland are going to walk all over the top of them. I, I just don't see it. I really, really don't. It's going to be a real hard-fought game. Um, and I'll say, you know, don't get me wrong, the French can, can, can appear and, and play like rubbish. Uh, they, they have a habit of doing that, especially away from home, especially when traveling. And even their club sides are, are, are notorious for it. But uh, at the same token, the other side of the coin is they can, they can arrive and blow you off the park. And, you know, as I say, I just wish this game for me was out of the way. Um, because, you know, to face the All Blacks in the quarterfinal, which if, if we don't top the group, you know, obviously you're going to, to win the whole thing, like Ireland are touted as, as dark horses and so on, you're going to have to beat teams like New Zealand. But then, you know, our quarterfinal hoodoo and, and, you know, the history that, that Ireland have in the World Cup, it just doesn't feel you full of confidence to, to go back into the, another quarterfinal and then, you know, those black shirts in front of you, they're not really what you want to see. George, uh, have you anything more that you want to add on that? No, no. Look, I think it's, it's very difficult to call. I won't be, it gives me no pleasure to say because I'd actually, I'd love to see Ireland beat the French. But, um, I have to say if I, if I had to put any money on it, I would I would probably um, probably put money on the French going going on and and then playing Argentina in the quarterfinal and Ireland having to go and play what would be just a pretty unbelievable game against the All Blacks, I think. Um, but uh, that's that that that's just just my opinion, probably completely wrong. Um, but I just I would be terrified of playing that French side. I have to say, I, I think if we you know if Wales bump into them later in the tournament, um, I just think their pack is so strong. Um, and they look like they got their conditioning really, really sort of, um, really, really well over the summer. So um, I, I, I just like that French side. I think, I think they're potential winners now. Um, along with, along with South Africa, who looks like finally getting their selection right, and they've dropped Victor Matfield for the weekend. Um, so, so yeah, no, we just absolutely it's very difficult to predict anything at this stage. But um, would would love to see the Irish going beating the French and uh, going through as top seeds. Ah, oh, please God, please God, make it happen! <laughs> Listen, we're we're pushing close to time, but before we but before we wrap up, I just want to give you both a chance to to to, to have a little chat about anything that's impressed you in the other games. It has been a brave lot of games, you know. We're focused very much on our on, on our own nations here, Sam. I'm I'm going to come to you if there's anything at all that that you've seen, or I know you've been very critical of the refs and anything. Anything you want to get off your chest? Far away. Uh, well, I was actually quite. Very impressed with Scotland. Well, against the USA, right? It was the first half. It was exactly as I predicted. And I said, you know, USA, we're going to give them some problems. 
uh, and I expected that to carry on in the second half. But, you know, Scotland again now, they just blew them out of the water. That second half performance was absolutely superb. So I think I've kind of underestimated Scotland a bit, you know, because the last six nations, everyone tipped them to, to you know, put up a performance but again they really badly failed but uh, you know that that performance against USA really impressed me so I think you know Scotland are actually in with a shout of, of getting to the quarters now so that's a, a really good one um, regards to uh, there's one thing I wanted to mention as well I don't know if you boys have seen the video of Johan Griffiths celebrating the Wales win have you seen that no I, I haven't caught it uh, no mate are tell you, us tell I mean, us mate it's, it's <laughs> It's absolutely amazing. It 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 was basically me, but in his pants, uh, right? But what happened was he was at home and his wife just got her camera out and she started filming him. And he basically, when Wales scored the try, he just chucked his shirt off. And then when they scored the penalty, he pulled his trousers off. And then when the full-time whistle went, he absolutely lost his mind and he's jumping up and down in his pants, mate. I'll have to put it on Twitter. It's it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, and and the other video as well I wanted to point out was the uh, the Mike Brown interview. Have you seen that one? No, I have I, I have the most awful uh, internet in the world things, here. And yeah. YouTube is a thing that the first world people have. I don't have things like that, unfortunately. As yeah. I'm doing these podcasts, is about the limit of my internet, unfortunately, here in the jungle. Oh, mate. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's it just, I feel for the guy, right? Because they've just interviewed him after that, you know, kicking the balls, what he's just received on the pitch. And they just interviewing him and he had a face like a slapped ass. And he was just one word answers, absolutely fuming. So that's, that's another one. I'll put, I'll put them both on my Twitter anyway. And uh, yeah, they're well worth a watch. That's cool. And George, I'm sure you have some some things you've noticed you want to bring up. Far away, man. Um, yeah, no. Look, I think uh, just just generally the performance of Tier Two nations. I thought watching Namibia play against the All Blacks just just that you know these guys are actually um, to, to to put in the performances they have just in terms of the scoreboards. I think compared to past World Cups, these guys have been much more competitive um, and, and just some of the spirit and heart to, you know, I think Namibia got over the try line and, um, and Romania the other night as well. And it's just, you know, really fantastic to see. And I think, you know, bigger picture, it's so important that, uh, that we spread the game and that, you know, all these nations feel like they're getting kind of sufficient funding and that they can really, um, and it's just particularly important, particularly important given what you said about Italy there. You know, what, what, this point that you're making on the back of that, it just reinforces that. It's, you know, I, I watched was it Namibia Tonga. It was fun, okay, it was error ridden, but absolutely fantastic to watch. A fantastic game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's just, it's so nice for all these guys as well. You know, a lot of them, especially the, the Uruguayans who have, you know, come out and really not, um, not been embarrassed at all, you know, to, to say the least. Um, and most of these guys are, are, are amateur rugby players. So to come out against top-level professional sides who have been training in camp together for three months, getting ready for this and putting the performances they have, I think um, it's just just in, just incredible. Um, and so massive, massive kudos to them. And uh, I think I think the other thing that's great is that you know how much the British public just just love their sport and. The fact that we've, you know, got all these fantastic stadiums and that, you know, most of them have all sold out. We've got great crowds, people just wanting to come and experience it. And, you know, the fact that all these players are getting to play in front of 
sold out crowds and these great stadiums all over the country is um, just just lifts the tournament so much. Um, so I've just been really, really impressed with that. Um, and I think, you know, the, the other point to make is that we spoke before the tournament about, you know, whether you could see a clear winner. I know a lot of people fancy, fancy the All Blacks, but I still think from this point, you know, you've had South Africa go down, but I, I still, you know, they're my prediction from the beginning. I'll stick by them. I think, um, I think they could get it right. And I, I don't think it's really any clearer who's going to, who's going to come through. So, you know, how fantastic when you look at the quarterfinals are all going to be incredibly competitive. So, um, just, just think it's been a fantastic tournament so far in terms of the quality of rugby. Um, well, and, what have you made of the Scots? Have you been, have you been impressed by the Scots look, as well? Because I'm, I'm, I'm delighted for them. Look, I said, I, I said on the on the initial preview pod that I worried for Scotland in their game against Samoa. I think, um, I think Samoa have real selection issues. Um, I don't, I don't quite understand why they're, you know, George PC, who's been one of the, I think he won Premiership Player of the Year a couple of years ago. They seem to just not be picking outside centre, which is very strange. Um, so and and Samoa have actually looked really poor. Um, so I think that's massively positive. I think Scotland have been really impressive. They look like they're peaking at the right time. Um, Johnny Gray is just a fantastic player. Their scrum's been very solid. Um, and you know Finn Russell has just just added so much to his game. You know he loves a good offload. Now he takes the ball very flat to the line. Obviously Mark Bennett, who I think I mentioned on the preview pod, is. One of their key players, a very, very talented, um, talented guy, has been fantastic for them as well. So, I think it's really positive for Scotland. I, I think South Africa will have too much of them this weekend. Um, I think they've got their selection right for that game as well. So that might be a bit of a bridge too far, but it looks like Scotland will will definitely go through second in that group. I fully expect them to beat Samoa, given given the fact that Scotland are looking very good and Samoa um, Samoa have been quite underwhelming so far. So really pleased for them. And um, look, I think that's a horrible game for. Whoever's going to be playing them coming out of Pool A in the quarterfinal, um, you know their scrum is strong and they're not going to go backwards there. And they've got got really exciting players out wide, so they're a real potential banana skin in the quarterfinals, um, just like a team like Argentina are. So I think what's going to be great about the quarterfinals is that you really I wouldn't be able to call any of them with any great confidence. Um, looking at who who is kind of likely to go through, um, so that's fantastic. So no, really impressed with Scotland and. Um, and I hope hope they sort of can just continue and um, make sure they get out of the group. Do you see them competitive against the box? Do you see them, you know, in, in, the, no, in the losing bonus point range, or do do you see the box just being too strong? No, I think I, I'm sure that Scotland will be competitive. Um, I think the difficult thing is that the way that Scotland are trying to play, and in terms of who they picked in their squad, especially up front, they're just trying to be very kind of. It's all about physicality and being very powerful and. Um, sort of bullying teams a little bit. And I think the problem when you play the Springboks is that they're, they're not going to be bullied, obviously. Um, so they might not be the best fit um, in terms of opposition for the Scots. Um, I, no, I, I, I'm sure for the first, you know, 40, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, I think it will be close. Um, and they could potentially have them a little bit worried. But I think uh, the box have just got their selection right. It was really sad to see Jean de Villiers going home injured. Um, what a fantastic servant to the game and an ambassador generally. But um, I did say before that I thought that um, these two young guys they've got playing in the centre, the ones that need to play and that it was a bit difficult. You know, they felt they kind of had to pick Jean de Villiers and that was slightly upsetting their balance. So I think now he's not there. They've dropped Victor Matfield, who is just, you know, not what he used to be. Um, so no, I, I no, do... a pale shadow, really. It is yeah, just a, pale it's a, real, a wonderful, know, wonderful player. 
he's come Wonderful. back out of retirement. He was doing TV punditry for a year, and I don't, you know, I, I mean, I massive respect for the guy. He can he can do whatever he wants. Um, he knows much better than me, but I do think it's a shame when you see a player like that coming back, and he's just sort of a shadow of his former self. Um, but I I do think the box will have will have too much for them, um, and they've got a guy called Willem Alberts who's going to come off the bench as well. He's back from injury. Who's not not a figure you want to see after sort of sixty minutes when you've been defending. Um, so no, I expect the the South Africa will have too much for Scotland, but I think it will be a great game. You know, what a great gig, uh, day of rugby on Saturday. South Africa, Scotland, followed by England, Australia. It's going to be fantastic. So just hope Wales take care of their end tomorrow, Fiji, and can sit back and enjoy the weekend. No, indeed. And as I said earlier in the pod, like Saturdays, <laughs> the two Saturdays we've had so far have just been unbeatable rugby. Sam, for, and, and just another point as well, De Villiers, I don't know whether you saw it today or not, is actually back with the, the, the Bach camp. Uh, he's he's taken some advisory role with the team for the rest of the tournament, which is nice to hear, given given the horrific injury that he, that he took there. Sam, for you, uh, the box against Scotland, how do you see that? Do you see? Can you see the Scots squeaking a, a losing bonus point out of it, or do you think they're, the, the box will be over the hill well you know you've got to consider the fact that Japan have, have, have done a number on them already this tournament I know South Africa now they maybe were complacent and, they, and they've sorted things out now but you know Scotland are showing that they're they're not a pushover anymore you know they've become a really good well-drilled outfit and you know by the way Stuart Hogg absolutely love watching that guy run with a ball in his hand so you know if he here, can here. get some uh, yeah, it's one of the great sights. I absolutely love watching that guy play rugby. So, you know, hope he's fit and everything and uh, firing well for the game. But, you know, I think it's going to be a close one. I, I really do. I think Scotland now are starting to show that they're, they're peaking at the right time, which is ideal for the World Cup. And, you know, I think it's going to be one a one-score game, you know, within seven, uh, which would be great. You know, if Scotland end up losing by less than seven against South Africa and then go on to the quarters. That's a real big, you know, boost for them. So I think that's probably what's going to happen. No, I agree with you. And also, you know, beyond the World Cup, a stronger Scotland is, is also great for the Six Nations uh, this year. You know what I mean? Because they have, they've had a terrible time. It's been a difficult time for, for supporters of Scottish rugby the last few years. There's not been a lot to shout about. So I, for one, am delighted to see them, see them picking up the form and, 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 you know, at least getting a run in this World Cup. But listen, guys. Time has run away on us, as it always does, and we could sit and chat here for hours over this, but uh, we're going to have to bring it to an end there. I just want to go around the table again. Stefan, unfortunately, had to step out, um, so he'll be back on the next one, obviously. Sam, do you have any plugs for us, anything you're doing at the minute, anything you want to plug out there? Well, I had promised I had an article on the way on the last pod, and I still haven't actually done it, uh, so gags will be on my case. So, yeah, I have got an article coming out, uh, Liverpool-related, very soon, so look out for that. And uh, that'll be on my Twitter, which is at Sambo Evans. But uh, yeah, that's about it then. No, but, uh, well, you've got, look, put it like this. This time you've a good enough excuse. You've been on the beer for a few days. Leave it. <laughs> he'll understand. He'll understand. That is, that uh, is the reason, yeah. <laughs> and here, who could blame you? I'll tell you what, if it, if it was, if it was oh, Ireland and done that, I, I'd still be drunk. There's no problem. It, it was no problem. It, it was literally the worst hangover of my life on Sunday. It was horrendous. <laughs> But these things happen, you know. It's not every yeah, day you go, was, beat, you, you go to England hosting their own World Cup and beat them. Like, you know, it's a hell of an achievement. Yeah. You deserve it. I, I, wore, I wore that hangover, like, 
like a battle scar. It was just, it was just one of those ones where <laughs> you're in you're in a world of pain, but then you just keep watching highlights of the game and you're all right. Then you know. So no, uh, yeah. So 1999 European Cup when Ulster won it. I think I was drunk for two weeks. It's just because uh, <laughs> I, I didn't expect them to win at that time. And, and you know when you don't expect to win and you get to win, it just it just you just get carried away on it. And it was I was at home as well. It was just it was just Dublin was mad that day. Sorry, I'm I'm waffling, George. Across across to yourself. You anything to plug? Anything you want to you want to put out there? No, man. Nothing, nothing for me at the moment. I would just say um, I forgot to mention earlier. I think Ben Youngs is having a fitness test tomorrow morning for England. So I think he, Wales really struggled to cope with him when he was on the pitch, and um, it was a massive shame for England that he went off. So if they get him fit, that could be hugely important. Um, but yeah, I, I I would just say beware. Where the English backlash really, I think um, it's very dangerous when they know they just can't afford to lose and they're at home. So um, just, you know, it's just going to be a fantastic game, but don't 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 write them off yet. I think um, I think they've got a very good chance of winning that game personally. And, and as I said earlier, if there's anybody out there English that wants to come on after the game, give us a shout. More than welcome. Same with Australians because we don't have any of them at the moment. Uh, get in touch with us. I'd just like to, to, to give a plug to a guy uh, on Twitter at the moment. It's at Driving Mall. And he's, he's, he's doing a quite novel thing. He's doing Periscope uh, Periscope previews uh, before the games and so on with with interaction from Twitter and whatnot. It's, it's something completely different. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's worth a look if if you're looking for something to preview the game and you're, you're sick of ITV's commentary or, or whatever whatever channel you get. Maybe it's, it's something different for you to do. Uh, I just wanted to give him a shout out there. He seems to be an incredibly nice guy as well. Uh, but really, that's really it for us. Uh, here on uh, the, the Sinbin podcast today. We will be back very soon uh, because this tournament is starting to roll again. There's a lot of big games over the weekend, so we'll be back uh, with the Southern Hemisphere and again with the guys from the North here very, very soon. I'd just like to thank everybody for listening to the pod, taking the time. If you give us a mention to other people, spread the word that we're here. Um, we're we're going to be here ongoing even after the World Cup. And you can find us on, a, on, on an application for, uh, for iPhone called uh, the AI Channel. And it's free to download, and there's lots of content on there from from football to rugby to films to everything's covered. But there's podcasts and everything. If you if you if you do long commutes or long drives, it's the kind of thing that will fill your time for you. But as I say, time has escaped us here, uh, and I'm going to have to just bring it to a close at that. Just thank you again for listening, and from all of us here, thank you to the panel. Good night. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.